0: Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Good afternoon everybody. Welcome to Wendy Weekly. This week I am absolutely delighted to have the pleasure of interviewing two people at once, not just one. And uh, with me on the call, I have Giovanni Patania and Ryan Windsor from Windsor Patania Architects. And uh, it's really great to have people on the, on the call, people who I can interview who've got these specialisms, because, you know, I often talk to, to my, my clients, my mentees at the wider world about developing a, a power team or a dream team to help you uh, if you're looking to get involved in HMOs. Um, but a lot of people kind of think, well, who do I really need? Can I boil it down to just two or three key people? My mortgage broker is one and the rest of it I can do myself. Um, and I think as entrepreneurs, we tend to maybe sometimes have that mindset that we can do everything ourselves, but we can't. So hi Giovanni, hello Ryan. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank, Thank you for being here. Us. Um, so, so you guys form uh Windsor Patania, and um uh you 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 grow you've got a growing reputation in the HMO world, the HMO industry for design and you know turnout of amazing HMOs. So thank you very much for being here today. Really appreciate your your presence uh, here. Um so I wanted to really start by asking you about your backgrounds. What, what what you know why why did you end up forming a partnership and kind of what led you to this place? So let, Ryan let's let me start with you. Uh
1: how far do you want me to go back?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's good to have a bit of context because you're not only an architect but you're an investor yeah. aren't you with a bit of a unique story.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, So um, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. I've always had little sideline businesses as a kid growing up. And uh, I think this was due to the fact that I don't come from a a very affluent family. So, you know, money was always on my mind, you know, how to save it, how to make it and what the future was looking like. Um, And uh, when I was a little bit older, um, 17, I, I spotted an opportunity with my next door neighbors to actually um, help them purchase, uh, sell their property. Um, and I actually uh, brokered the deal between uh, them and my sister. Um, and I said to them, you know, if I can help you sell the property, you know, within a month because they were going for a divorce, um, what's the best price you can do? And they said, well, we just want to get out of the, the deal and move on with our lives. So, you know, what, what's left off the mortgage? Um, which was you know about around about 80,000 and uh, the property was valued at about 110 so I said to my sister this is a really good deal she's a bit older than me so uh, I think you should do it and you should rent it out this would be a good pension pot for you and uh, she said she didn't have the savings but I did from all my childhood adventures so I gave her all of my money. I was an angel investor before I even know, knew what an angel investor was. <laughs> and uh I, I it was my first and last d- sourced deal as well. I've never really sourced a deal uh since. And uh yeah, I saw that she was doing very well with it and she was making some good money from the rents, and I thought, well, actually this is something that I I should do. So then I started um with the next deal which was actually a JV between me and my sister, so keeping it quite close property next door to my mum that was my sister's now renting out and then the next property was in in the street across the road Um,
0: amazing amazing so you did it in quite a small location then
1: very small i um there was a telegraph article actually um that featured a story of of my investment portfolio and it was titled you own most of your street yeah (laughs) which yeah so I, i i mean you know there was a big big debate about how far to go for, you know, rental properties, I, I built my portfolio up within, you know, a a five minute walking distance from my house.
0: Wow, that that's a great goldmine area. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Excellent. So let's fast forward then to, you know, a bit more recently, you've got some experience in property and so on. So then then what led to this, uh, this this opening of of architecture and design?
1: Geo, do you want to
2: Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we started our company in 2017, but me and Ryan met uh, probably around 2015, 2016, yeah. So um, I, at the time I was running a networking event in London, which was dedicated to developers, yeah. Um, So Giovanni, what's
0: your background then?
2: My background is in architecture. So I am an architect. I'm from Italy, as you can judge from my name and my accent, and uh, from Tuscany, more precisely. I moved to London in in 2013. I've been working in a really big company uh, for four years, uh, Foster & Partners. They are the biggest architectural company in in UK. Uh, they did really big things like, you know, the Millennium Bridge, London City Hall, uh, the Gherkin. Yeah, so, uh, so a lot of really important projects. And I had the opportunity to work alongside Lord Norman Foster, yeah, which is one of the most uh, prestigious architects uh, in, in the world. Yeah? And uh, during the experience, I uh, was uh, um, operating as a lead architect uh, for Apple. So my my role was to help designing um, Apple stores, and more precisely, I've been working on the Champs Elysées Apple store uh, for a couple of years, um, literally from start to finish, uh, just before construction. That was the the end of my uh, of my duty. Yeah, it, the, the store is now open in two thousand eighteen. It's, it's a really beautiful store in Paris on the Champs Elysées. So if you have the vocation to go there and visit it, highly recommend it as an architectural experience. Yeah.
0: Great. So, we can go in and say, we know the person <laughs> who designed this. Yeah, How's who it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that was a really <laughs> cool experience for four years. Um, and uh, working for Apple was also quite a challenge, as you can imagine. So yes. uh, with this in mind, you know, and all this knowledge uh, that I acquired, you know, I um we, we, when I met Ryan, in, in my, in talking, we actually met on his award ceremony. He was getting an award <laughs> uh, for outstanding performances in property, property investing. Yeah. So we met and uh, I shared my background, you know, what I do, you know, and he told me he's an investor and a good one, not just an investor, a really good one. I want to get into investment. As well, and uh, and and so we started to get know each other's, Then, you know, from uh, from there, we became friends. He came over to my networking event to speak a couple of times. I um, he asked me to um, do a survey of one of his properties, and and then one doing one of these surveys, I actually fell through the roof. Um, yeah, there was a loft conversion going on, and. Uh, that the floor wasn't in good shape. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, despite the estate agent told me that everything was fine, I basically, you know, did a hole in the, on, on the loft floor. <laughs>
0: oh, and,
2: uh, and there was quite a, you know, a funny. Uh, I didn't, I didn't hurt myself luckily, but, uh, you know, um, it was a, quite a funny experience that also help, helped us bonding, uh, you know, creating a, a friendship even more. Yeah. So he came over. Then I advised. It could him have gone on,
0: one of either ways, couldn't it? You'd either get you know closer from that, or you'd stay apart.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then you know, one day, you know, uh, out of the blue, completely randomly, I didn't expect that. I didn't imagine that. But Ryan, so as he often does, you know, he, he, shows, he sees opportunities. You know, he, he just uh, you know he looks at people and he thinks about, you know, how to leverage uh, their knowledge, their talents. And uh, he sent me a message on WhatsApp, just, uh, you know, out of the blue, shall we start an um, architectural practice? <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, why not? Let's start, yeah. And, <laughs> just and everything like that. Started, yeah, everything started from there. Um, we got our first client in March, 2017. Uh, and for months we didn't get any new client there was one, yeah, like just one client uh, at a time for the in the, probably in the, the first three months and then we started step by step building up you know um the systems building up uh, our brand our name uh, because we didn't have any website we didn't have a name yeah so um, in in September 2017 we started we opened up our limited company and we started thinking things really seriously yeah and in parallel I was developing my property portfolio in Liverpool so that's my investment area I bought my property in 2017 uh, the first one is a small HMO and then in 2018 I bought another one six bedroom uh, HMO so I I had to go through all the pain, you know, of you know having to do with builders, uh, you know, trying to uh, make sure they don't that they don't do mistakes or they don't scam you, yeah, because in Liverpool, as you can imagine, it's really easy to get scammed by builders, um, even even the good ones. They sometimes try to play a little bit sly. So I was going on site basically every week (laughs) to make sure they they were doing things properly. Yeah. And, um, so I ended up uh, now I have an HMO portfolio. I went to professionals, um, in, in Liverpool. Yeah. I don't so do, that's great, I, I, so you,
0: you, you've got some, yeah. you know, you, you've got some experience that's kind of either side of the fence, as you might say, first of all, as an yeah. investor, a landlord, you mm-hmm. understand the, 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 the challenges with HMOs, the need to have them so that they're licensable, mm-hmm. you know, tick all the boxes kind of thing. And also, you're, you can see it from the point of view of the investor that, you know, basically, the investor wants to make money, but the HMOs a means to an end. Um, ideally, it's to create um, not only just passive or residual income, but also a pension, and you know an asset that is going to perform for the rest of that asset's life and the rest of the asset owner's life as well, so they can go <laughs> off and do something else, you know, a bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, so you you had see, you you had got that experience, Giovanni, which is really good. And of course, Ryan, you've got experience as a property investor as well. That's that's sort of how you started. So when you then formed your your company, your architectural company, how much did your experiences of being an investor? Uh, influence what you were doing and how you were working with your clients.
2: Ryan, do you want to take this? Do you want to take this one here?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot. So right right from the beginning, we are looking at you know the, the the development, the potential development from you know the eyes of a developer, investor, and you know the tenant, the end user. You know, um, so we're looking at it, it all encompassing. What is the development? Is it feasible? Because that's great, obviously, you know, but then also, is it viable? You know, they have to be both. Um, So we've developed a suite of products to obviously help our our clients, you know, sort through the good, the bad and the ugly of the properties um, and not purchase the property in the hope of planning and then find out it doesn't get planning. You know, so we really want to advise our clients from the very early stages. Um, and then understanding you know, the market demand. So uh, there's an example with a client who bought a, a board building without um, getting planning, wanted to turn it into something. He said it was gonna be his cash cow of the north. He wanted a 30-room HMO, 30-bedroom HMO, uh, former retail unit into a HMO. We did our research, he appointed us for market research and it actually turned out to be uh, non, non-viable. No one would want to rent the HMO. So we actually changed the scheme into flats, you know, and that's what everyone wanted. And we really dived deep into the demographic of the area. so that's
0: that's a really interesting point because I think that um, perhaps slightly less experienced architects or, or architects who themselves are not investors might take the client's uh, view as being the right view. You know, I think I think many um, many architects I've spoken to perhaps don't have your experience might have said, well all right yeah. you want a 30-bed hmo we'll deliver a 30-bed hmo yeah. it's not up to us to make sure it's viable it's not up to us to make sure that it's actually going to uh fulfill the yeah. the ultimate aim that you want it to our job is just to take the building and turn it into the building you want it to be and you could have yeah. done that you could have taken that case couldn't you and you could have you know had a beautiful hmo it could have been converted wonderfully the builders could have come in on time and budget you would have got your pay you could have waved goodbye but then the investor is left going. I can't rent this HMO out because it's in the wrong area. It's the wrong demographic. Yeah. I wish I'd known this before. So to a yeah. certain you're you're getting involved, as you're saying, the viability of the project in terms of its long term goal, which is something a little bit different, isn't it?
1: I think I think so, definitely. I mean, um, architects, you know, aren't necessarily having to have investment experience, you know, and give that level of advice, but. Um, I think me and Giovanni really care about our clients. We have a really customer centric approach. You know, we always say in the team, you know, it's a mantra that we're proactive and not reactive. Um, And, you know, our clients are coming to us for very serious reasons. They want to change their life through property. They want to have an, an extra income. They want to hedge against inflation. They want to transform these horrible disused buildings into new wonderful spaces, Yeah, and you know, they need them to perform and if they don't perform um, they don't have a business you know um and
0: actually if they do perform presumably there's much more likelihood of course they're going to come back to you next time aren't they because they're going to go hey these guys helped me to convert yeah. this building yeah, into yeah. what it was intended to be yeah. so i'm going to use them again and again and again so so it, it's good yeah. for, it's good for, good for both of you to to have that kind of approach i suppose
1: well, well de- definitely uh, that is one element of it but also i mean we are very um objective if a building doesn't work um we will tell them you know so we have a lot of uh, discovery calls um, where we're talking to clients and right straight off the bat, we can say this isn't going to work. You know, it's going to be too expensive to convert. It's not viable. It's feasible, but it's not viable. And we can, you know, might have to do a bit more of research um, with that. But, you know, right from the beginning, if we can tell the client it's not going to work or it is going to work, um, we will. A really, a really typical type of
2: conversation we have in our you know, Zoom calls and discovery calls and even doing the project review, you know, because we are doing the, the development journey, we will do a lot of design reviews with the clients. And we have often a debate, you know, about room sizes, as you can imagine, because the client wants to push, let's say, to six bedrooms. Yeah, I want six bedrooms, uh, 100%, you know, I know it's going to work. Okay, let's do six bed. And then... Two of those six bedrooms, they are gonna be six point five square meters in terms of area. Yeah. Um, at that point, we usually say, "Okay, definitely, you can do it. You know, is uh, it's viable? I mean, you can you can do it. If it's feasible, yeah, definitely, you can do the six point five square meters bedrooms. Um, however, uh, are you gonna be able to, you know, let them out? Do you think there's gonna be demand for those bedrooms? For how long those bedrooms are gonna be let for? How much how much, uh, much void time you're gonna have the void period? Mm-hmm. So and we often com- convince those clients that instead of doing six beds, it, it would be better and more you know uh, efficient to do five beds. Yeah, uh, because maybe instead of having two um, two uh, bedrooms of six one five square meters each, they have one double bedroom. Yeah which, uh, you know, can be even rented out to a couple, you know, with an end suite, yeah. In that case, it's better yeah, for, 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 the, for the asset in general, yeah. So we have this type, this type of conversations um, and often the clients understand, especially those clients which don't, ro- don't really know the markets. Um, they don't know, you know, how difficult sometimes it is to, you know, convince a tenant to commit to a tenancy. And uh, you know the outlook of the of the room is is, is really important, and a lot of um, one of the main, the main things that n- new starters are forgetting about is, is that storage space is really important for tenants. Yeah? If you want to retain a tenant, you have to give them a good amount of storage space, mm. and if you have a six, 6.5 square meters bedroom, you can you can't give them that that, that feature yeah.
0: That's that's great advice. I think that that's very true, because in the time that I've been investing in HMO, certainly my portfolio has changed and developed from what I was doing seven years ago. Now I'm doing things quite differently, actually still using some of those ideas. For example, I find built in furniture incredibly useful. Yeah, Although you're paying a little yeah. bit more to have it built in. Often you can do floor to ceiling wardrobes, you can do cupboards yeah. at the top, you could do drawers at the bottom. And of course the tenants can't move it around the room. And after three years you find you've got a wonky wardrobe because it's been moved so much around the bedroom. So yeah. there are certain things that I've I've carried on doing have sort of been our trademark uh, in our developments, but other things I've definitely changed. And I think that's definitely one of them is that I think the kind of whole sardine tin, let's squash as many people into this yeah. HMO as we legally can. That's mm. no longer something that tenants want. Um, And and in a time of, uh, you know, a competitive industry where there's quite a lot of supply for many, many tenants, they've got a good choice. You've got to try and set your HMO above the rest. Um, And of course, with COVID, we've seen a lot more people working from home. And if there's no room to put a even a small desk and a room for a laptop and maybe a kettle, you know, and yet another HMO two doors down is offering that. Well, the tenants Mm -hmm. are going to choose the one two doors down. Actually, even if it means a little bit more rent. Because what they're looking for is quality of life, not just yeah. what's the minimum rent that I can pay. So I think that's 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 True. really really sound advice. So, mm. uh, in terms of your your HMO work, then is is does that constitute a, a bulk of what you do, or do you do housing plans, uh, you know, schemes mm. of work for other mm. kinds of development as well?
2: Okay, so um, we do we we do both, um, but we ended up specialising. Um, a part of our team into HMOs because they are our bread and butter. We know them really well. Uh, you know, we invest in HMOs and uh, and there is a market for, for HMO design. So we, we ended up creating even a website <laughs> only for this specific service, which is called HMO Architects, which also has a really nice blog section with a lot of interesting articles about HMOs. Um, but that, that that is not our only venture, uh, HMOs. That is a really niche service that we offer to HMO investors. Uh, our main brand is obviously Windsor Pahania. And uh, with this specific service, we're aiming to do new build projects, conversions of historical buildings in block of flats. Yeah. Uh, we also have some commercial projects. Um, and in general, we aim to those projects which have a slightly higher budget, yeah, still, still towards investors and developers, but maybe uh, with Windsor of Pahania, we're aiming for more experienced uh, investors with a lot, with which are, which are committed to to do uh, larger developments.
0: OK, so let's yep. imagine I'm a fairly new HMO investor. OK, I've made this decision. That I want to move from single buy to let's to HMOs. I've already got some experience in property. Maybe I've used a draftsman before. Or I've used a technical uh, drawer to, to design for floor plans. So I might have even used one of the online services. And so far, I've never had any problems using those, those uh, 3D uh, apps that you can, you can use online. Everything's cool. You know, why would I need an architect? What is it that you can do that I can't do?
2: OK, Ryan, you want to take this one here?
1: I think I think we'll leave it to you the architect yeah
2: <laughs> I want to leave it to me uh I mean uh why why would you go with the architect okay so it's pe- it, it is plenty of draftsmen um out there yeah uh maybe for I would say if you're designing a 3 bed HMO and you want to place an en suite uh in one of the double bedrooms you know you might not need the architect at all yeah I agree uh if if the if the HMO is a three bed HMO, maybe even, even a four bed HMO. Yeah. Uh, the architect might be an overkill if you are just, if you are just trying to reposition a partition wall or other end suite. Yeah. But when we're talking about, you know, doing a dormer extension, a rear extension, a side extension, uh, a property with five, six end suites and another five, six kitchenettes and a really large six meter extension, all of that, um, you know, is not, it's not easy yeah is <laughs> is much more complicated than than it seems yeah because there's a lot of components that come together and often with these HMOs every centimeter counts yeah so you have to design you know and uh, you have only one chance to design it right yeah you don't have a second chance you have one chance to design it right so if you do the pre-construction phase in the wrong way and uh, you know you forget about the pipe work you forget about you know this the thickness of the walls um you know and they are not the right ones uh you know uh, i also imagine of error of 10 to 20 centimeters can mean uh, you know losing an ensuite or you know uh, losing a double bedroom so every centimeter counts so in in that circumstances the only way to get you know uh, an accurate design and uh, you know a functional design on time yeah is is to work with a professional yeah, an architect yeah and uh, you know doing a sketch plan on uh, whichever software or, or app you, you can download in, in and do it in five minutes is not going to give you the same level of accuracy of doing a full measure survey with a laser camera yeah the same way as we do yeah um, so so um, we using an architect you get these supports all the way through and most importantly uh, you don't have, if you do a five to six bed hmo for example or even worse a seven plus bed hmo yeah you, you need a number of consultants on board. You need a structure engineer, you need acoustic consultants, uh, you need a party wall surveyor if you're doing a dormer extension, Yeah, in a mid-terrace house or end of terrace house, and they need accurate uh, drawings. They can't work on a, um, off, a, off on a sketch plan. Yeah, they need, they need accurate drawings, they need to be coordinated, and the architect uh, does also this. The architect acts as a lead consultant on behalf of the of the investor. Yeah. So the investor doesn't have to waste his time liaising with all these people, but he only has one professional to liaise with, the architects, which gives updates on what everyone is doing, how is everyone is performing. Yeah. And uh, things get even more complicated with a planning application if, if if the investor needs a full planning application. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some HMOs are falling in an article for area. Hence, if you're doing a three to four bed HMO, you do need full planning application anyway. Uh, and, and those planning applications are, are a long process. You know, they can last from, you know, if you're lucky, two months. Uh, yeah, the minimum, uh, but they can also last six months really easily. Yeah, If uh, the council is low and they, they need additional information. yeah. So the architect is going to help you doing things right, especially in the pre-construction phase. Yeah, I would say in the construction phase, having the architect helping you with everything is a little bit of an optional. If you have a good base in the pre-construction, you can do things better in the construction phase. It, it, the architect is not 100% needed for an HMO project. Yeah, if if the investor is feeling confident to manage, you know um the snagging process and you know all the um, you know manage the builders yeah but in the pre-construction is is, is it really important to do, th- to do things the right way with building control party wall you know structural engineers and all, all the all, all the consultants involved so to reduce the issues on site
0: okay so that's really interesting so accuracy is obviously key but also what you're talking about is coordination of all those different uh, professionals that might be involved particularly on slightly li- slightly bigger projects planning and the the, the oversight of planning and presumably mm-hmm. also then if you are required to for example project manage you as you say you're the lead con- you're the you're the um, lead contractor but interestingly of course under cdm regulations there are quite a number of legal obligations there as well and compliance rules which which as an architect presumably you also have to oversee which I think again if you're new to HMOs and maybe you're thinking about doing a six or seven or eight bed HMO because you want you've got the you've got the finances um you've maybe got some experience you've maybe got some some uh, experience of doing refurbs it's kind of easy to think oh I can I can just kind of jump into it but there are lots of loopholes and i think unless you're educated unless you know for example whether you or not you need acoustic um insulation will you need an acoustic test you know in some local authorities they require an acoustic test for seven bed or more hmos in others they don't that's your job to go and find that out isn't it it's your job to go and explore that to understand whether that is a requirement and then to coordinate it and feed that back to the client uh, so that they understand what is required and what the spec of the work is going to be in order to to get it to pass muster. So it actually can be then a legally compliant HMO um, at the end of the construction phase. So that, I think that's really valuable to to, you know, add that in. I, I think for a lot of people, they they think that an architect is a designer, that you come along and, you know, you you can you can. T- look at look at a building in a 3D perspective and go oh I know we can add a, a sort of glass dome yeah. to the top yeah yeah yeah. A yeah wonderful yeah. glass extension on the back and you know you've got all these creative ideas and certainly I think for a lot of people that creativity is what maybe draws them to you in the first place they've got a house but they're just not sure how to create an HMO out of this property and for some people, they've got that skill naturally. Uh, um, certainly, I've always found I can walk into a property and go, oh, I'll put that there, put that there, do this, do yeah. that, do the other, right, on HMO. But I would imagine that even though that's maybe something that for me is a fairly natural ability to do, if you came along to one of my projects, you would say, well, actually, Wendy, if you just moved this a little bit over here or you'd put the door here or you'd change the window, you actually would have got a lot more floor space out of this room or whatever it would be. And, and, and that's the benefit that you bring to working with your clients, is that you can bring not just the, the accuracy and the sort of technical side, but you also bring a design element in as well, don't you?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it depends also on our scope of work, yeah, uh, because, um, you know, some clients want to appoint us only for planning and media regulation, yeah, just to get um, everything the right, the correct prior to go on site. Um, But other other clients, they they want us to, you know, um, to appoint us for more services and especially furniture design, not not furniture, furniture design, of um, supplying the right furniture to the property, doing some interior design, yeah. So we we can also help help with those things, you know. Also, another thing we do really often is to liaise with a kitchen designer, and kitchen manufacturing company. Uh, because also the kitchen is a really delicate, you know, part of the of an HMO. Yeah, um, you can't design um, a kitchen which uh, involves, you know, um, too many too many people being there at the same time and to be congested too much. Yeah, uh, at that point wouldn't be con- wouldn't be functional. Yeah, so we have to design all the the different elements at the right distance, uh, you know, with the right worktop space. Uh, the, the fridge, the fridge, the fridge freezer space needs to be allocated in the right location. So all these details here, they we, we can help design. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah. So that that's really good. So Ryan, I'd like to ask you um, in terms of some of the projects you've done, some of the HMOs that you've done. What what have you learned through working with investors? What 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 could, what advice might you give to an investor? Um, who's thinking about doing an HMO, what, what can they learn from your experience of, of, of overseeing many projects and, of course, having your own HMOs?
1: Um, location and understanding the demand and the t- tenant type is really, really important because when you're designing a HMO, you have to take into consideration the tenant type. You know, for instance, my Cambridge properties, you know, most of them are PhDs and doctors. You know, they want a different type of living to the ones that um, I started off with, which were more uh, migrant workers working in factories. Yeah, both wanting quality, but different types of quality. Um, I would also say preparation, you know, uh, the more you can prepare for the construction element, the more time and money you're going to save. So that's 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 key. So the more you that's
0: and that's a really interesting point. because again we we, we can get so excited can't we oh i'm buying my first property i'm about to pick up the keys the contracts have been signed or 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 i'm due to exchange on friday and i'm going to go into the estate agent pick up the keys and then that's it boom saturday morning we're in but you know that that kind of although it's great to have that energy and the momentum um what what would you say to somebody who who has that kind of approach <laughs> i'm sure uh, you well, advise fair. them Ooh, be careful
1: well, well fantastic energy but obviously maybe let's do some due diligence uh, beforehand before you actually purchase yeah um you know make sure the property is is going to be feasible and viable and we you know we can obviously help with that because once you purchase the property you're stuck with it yeah, um, and uh, there's there's a case study where uh, one of our clients came to us with a property in Wrexham that they wanted to convert. Uh, very feasible. Uh, the sourcing agent was chasing her to pay the five thousand pound deposit. She appointed us for our HMO design appraisal. Uh, it was feasible. It was a huge property. She could convert it, but we found that there was one element um, of the uh, planning uh, regulations that just would not allow it. The council one hundred percent would not allow her to have a HMO. And it was the sandwiching effect. There was already one HMO next door, so no other HMO could be connected. Um, she was obviously disappointed, but then she didn't buy the property, so she didn't get into more trouble. And I think sometimes being, you know, very objective and very honest is is the best policy. Yeah. Um, just mentioning the estate agents. One one of the things that's really stood me in good stead as an investor is if you are committed to buying a property and the property is good, buy it. Yeah. And, and don't let down the estate agents. I mean, obviously, you know, everyone's financial situations are different and things can change, but don't, you know, uh, always uh, don't, don't uh, pull out of a deal. You know, if there's a deal that's 2000 pounds, you down the road because the state agents will know they talk. And what I've done is I've pretty much bought every property at the price that I've agreed. I didn't renegotiate at the last moment to try and get 2000 pounds off. And then the estate agent started to call me up before they started to market the property. So I effectively went into their black book um, and they would say, hey, I'm about to market this property. Do you wanna come and have a chat? Uh, so I have a strong relationship with that. Um, yes, then-
0: I think that's absolutely key. I think once you have agreed on a price, um, unless something crops up in the survey, um, yeah. And sometimes that can be a reason for renegotiating price. Certainly I've had a couple of experiences where I've agreed a price and then the survey's been coming in and I thought, hang on a minute, there's too much work here. And, and the, 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 the vendor may well, or may, I don't know whether they have, or haven't been aware of the work that's needed, but for example, in one property, we found Japanese knotweed and that hadn't mm-hmm. been disclosed mm-hmm. to us before the sale. Mm-hmm. It was only when we got the seller's pack through that it was ticked. Yeah. So we then had to explore yeah. that and, and we utilize that as a, as a lever for reducing the price price. Another Definitely. time we had a property where um, the survey came back and said that the property is full of damp, you need to have a specialist damp and timber report. Well, of course, that cost yeah. us money. And we had not even bought the property at this stage. So again, we renegotiated yeah. the price. But I think otherwise, you're right, there is a sense in which actually, if you are working with estate agents, building up your credibility and building up your commitment to follow through on that purchase uh, is a very important part of that strategy. Um, so yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it goes, it extends, I mean, most of the projects on the, you know, second half of my investing career have come from, you know, uh, agents that have not listed the property, you know, and I've gone and spoken to the vendor the day that they've met the vendor the first time and we've pretty much agreed a price there and there um, So I'm getting first, first refusal, basically, for access. And then even, you know, working with the councils, you know, having really, really good properties that are in good condition that are all fully compliant the council started to actually call me up when they were revoking licenses off of, you know, the, the rogue landlords um, and saying, you know, we're going to revoke this guy's license. Um, he's not going to be able to be a landlord anymore. Do you want to come and have a look at his property? Because he's got tenants, yeah. you know? Um, and obviously that, that is because, you know, when I do have an issue in one of my properties, like we all do, you know, a boiler breaks down, my, my power team, my plumber will go around within a day two days maybe you know if it's a weekend which is pretty yeah. really quick you know it's a reasonable amount of time and try and solve the problem Right.
0: Um, and yeah. it's, it's creating that kind of professional attitude to running your business as a your portfolio as a business is critical I think to be able to create that those relationships in the community which are, are actually vital for your survival as well as helping other people with great accommodation yeah um, definitely now we had a question in the in the, in the facebook group um okay. so how, and i'm sorry i can't see who it is using Streamyard. i'm not able to see who's posted the question so i'm sorry i can't make it personal but i'll read the question anyway how best can you prepare if you can't get access to the property for builders to give you a quote until your completion this is because in the current market lead time of builders are quite crucial so how best to prep builders in order to secure a place from your builders? So I think there's really two questions here. Number one, how do you get the quote up front for a builder before you've even completed on the property? And secondly, how to make sure that you are kind of able to um, confirm with the builder that you want to utilize them so that they plan out their time in the diary to make space for your conversion?
2: Okay. Okay. So that's, uh, that, that's obviously a good question. So how do we do that? Yeah. So if you, if you are about to buy a property and you, you didn't, you don't, they haven't ex- ex- exchanged yet. Yeah. How do you get a, a builder to commit, uh, even before you exchange? Yeah. Um, so if you don't have a design, yeah, if you don't have a design, but you only have a plan from the state agent, what I will suggest to do, yeah, is to prepare a separate Um, document yeah to be submitted to the builder together with the plans yeah uh, which contains a list of specifications yeah so your specifications as an HMO developer so do you want the spotlights in the ceiling do you want to rewire the whole property yeah Uh, do you want uh, how many en suites do you want and um, do you want wet rooms or en suites yeah Mm -hmm. so you have to basically build yourself a list of specifications to give them an idea of you know what you're planning to do otherwise they they will not be able to give you any price they can't commit to something you know yes turn this (laughs)
0: house into a six bed hmo go on now give me a price for it i hear that all the time and people haven't done a detailed specification and of course the builder then doesn't know what to go on what are they quoting for and you can't get an equivalent quote from somebody else You know, you can ask six different builders and they'll all come up with a totally different price because you haven't given them specifics Absolutely. of what Absolutely. you're looking for.
2: And actually uh, having a list of specifications as an HMO developer will help you also um, to, to to work better with the builder because the builder will have to give you the guarantee that based on the price he's giving you, is going to is gonna deliver exactly that list of specifications mm-hmm. that you, you you want, yeah. Otherwise you just, you know, appoint the builder for something and then after three months, four months, you know, uh, what you see is what you get, yeah. There is no, <laughs> no way back, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's why, you know, the pre-construction phase is really important, yeah. So, um, so the suggestion would be to have the state agent plans with a sketch or what you would like to do, plus an additional document which you can call, HMO design specifications for property number, blah, 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 yeah, and the list of the specifications divided by room, yeah, the kitchen, the living room, the, the bedrooms, yeah, the so, so you can give a hint of, of, of how the project is going to look like, yeah, otherwise the builder doesn't know what to quote for, yeah, or if they do give you a price, um, I wouldn't trust them at all, yeah. <laughs> because of, yeah, I, you know, they, some builders they w- just want to get the job and they give you a price, but you don't know what you're buying. So
0: Absolutely.
2: definitely not not commit to it. Yeah, the best thing. So uh, the best thing uh, would be actually to have the 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 building the, the planning and building control done, you know, before appointing the building team. Yeah, officially. Um, so they can commit to the, the the specific the exact specifications you want yeah uh, but if you want to um, get them to be committed before buying the property, the only way to do it uh, is to yeah do a, a a general outline um document with all the specifications yeah and um, to give them an idea and then at a sec- as a second phase, you can give them more detailed drawings. Yeah,
0: I, I think the issue really is, while it, you know, it's good to have all those different, uh, you know, specifications and the and the diagrams, the floor plans, etc., and all of that can be done, of course, before you exchange there's always a risk that the, the, the completion doesn't happen. You know, for whatever mm. reason, on the day of the sale, the vendor could pull out, you know, that they, 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 for some reason it doesn't complete. And you may have spent some money on getting all of those pieces of uh, documentation and the, and, and the surveys and so on done. So that is a risk. Um, the other risk, of course, is that you, while you might have all your paperwork and documentation in place, the builder then accepts another job in front of yours and I I think that for some of this my my feeling is having done about over 40 HMO refurbs um, some of it you cannot control some of it I think you have to accept that however organized you are however much you've got all your ducks in a row and you've got your people and you know which builders you're going to use and you might be having an architect and uh, you know you might have all the all the all the correct documentation things happen Life happens, and yeah, you can't yeah, control it. it, can you? Yeah, of course no. So, you know, I, I think it's about taking a good, again, it's a, it's having a business mindset that says, okay, what what approach do we take to this? And uh, we, with project management, I tend to take the, the, I tend to look at those those three sort of factors, which is quality, time, and cost, and say to myself, okay, how much am I prepared to put in? To solve this problem uh, so that's the, that's the, that's the cost element sorted how long do I want to, for this problem to go on before I'm, I'm I, it needs to be solved and mm. um, what quality am I looking for for the for the problem to be solved and I think those three elements are very valuable when you're looking at refurbs and I'm sure you know for you guys using that kind of project management sort of theory must help you as well, in terms of making some of those decisions throughout the ups and downs of a project, which can start pre-purchase, can't it?
2: Definitely. Yeah, So, yeah,
0: so in terms of some of the things that you've you kind of been doing recently, what I'd really like to understand is what what trends are you seeing in HMOs? And mm. what do you think the next kind of couple of years looks like in terms of HMO development and design?
2: Okay uh maybe i can start and maybe ryan you can add something on top yeah so yeah. yeah uh how how is the hmo where is the hmo market going in terms of design so with the pandemic obviously uh you know the pandemic shaped a lot you know what the investors are looking uh for in hmo properties because tenants changed what they're looking for in hmo rooms yeah um and and me i i mean mm, as you as you know you know now end suites are are a big thing yeah so tenants will always ask the question does the room have an end suite yeah so end suites um and and larger bedrooms yeah so uh, as i mentioned before you know 6.5 square meters rooms they might work on a spreadsheet uh but in reality they are really difficult to let nowadays yeah um so uh, the best uh, in terms of the room size yeah, we always advise to have at least a room of 8.5 square meters to 9 square meters uh, as a minimum yeah because then you can fit you know the um, a, a large desk to work from home yeah uh, you can fit the wardrobe and you know you have a nicer you know a nicer space to, to move around yeah then if you have an end suite is even better yeah is um, and if you if you have a larger bedroom of like 10 to 11 square meters you can even have a uh, tea making facility with a uh, you know with a sink, um a bridge, yeah and some cupboard space yeah uh, so these this would be the 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 perfect f- product for the current market in terms of, of of room and and maybe you also offer the tenants usb sockets Data point to enhance the internet connection. Yeah, uh, we always have we always specify one Wi-Fi repeater per floor. If you're doing like the classic three-story HMO with domer extension, there should be a, a Wi-Fi repeater per floor. Uh, otherwise, the Wi-Fi doesn't work. And as you know, nowadays you know tenants need Wi-Fi more than they need water. Yeah, if if, if the tenants don't have water, you'll you'll probably they let you know. So if the tenants don't have water, they will let you know in probably six hours time. If they don't have Wi-Fi, they'll text you straight away. Yeah, so uh, Wi-Fi is really important. and. Um, so, Although
0: they won't probably be able to WhatsApp you because the Wi-Fi is down, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: definitely, definitely, yeah. And um, I had recently, recently I had an issue with Wi-Fi, you know, that, that's why I am taking it really seriously, you know. Uh, I was, uh, you know, this company um just uh, shut my Wi-Fi down from one day to the other in this six-bed HMO. Yeah. And... Uh, There was like, you know, everyone was complaining, you know, uh, a lot of stress, you know, they were threatening to leave the property, you know, they get, it's like, you know, everyone is an addict to Wi Fi, you know, if you don't have it. There is a
0: (laughs) way around that, Giovanni. Would you like to know my way around it?
2: Okay. Okay.
0: You have a Wi Fi policy. Okay. So when the tenant moves in, you're very clear that you don't provide Wi-Fi like running water. And that if the Wi-Fi goes down, you'll commit to try and fix it within a certain, you know, few hours. But you cannot commit to always having Wi-Fi. Because I think if you're offering Wi-Fi, tenants do expect it to be on all the time. And of course, you as a landlord, you try and make sure it's on all the time. But there are also certain things, for example, that can um, affect the Wi-Fi, such as if somebody's downloading a huge amount of material or file, file sharing. So we have a, a Wi-Fi policy in our HMOs that tenants okay. have to agree to as they move in. And that is very clear then about what we do and what we don't do and what they should do and shouldn't do legally because mm. if somebody is found to be file sharing illegally um, under your wi-fi you are legally responsible for that mm.
2: so okay. uh,
0: that's that's maybe a little tip from me to you today to help you you yeah. uh, manage definitely, the wi-fi definitely. better
2: yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic
0: so when it comes to, um, yeah, I mean, the, these these kind of really good um, tips, I think they're they're excellent tips. And I think for investors, they're going to be saying, yeah, right, I've got to add that to my spec. Yeah, I've got to add that to my spec. Yeah, That's exactly. all really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, what do you think um, are going to be some of the, the, the ways in which, you know, somebody's looking at you today thinking, well, I don't know if I should be using an architect. What's the kind of return I'm going to get? What's the value that you can add? I, I'd like to understand a bit more. You, you've told us about the, the, the process that somebody might follow. And you told us that you obviously offer a variety of different services that people can um, participate in, which is, also incredibly useful that they don't have to use it for the whole project it could just be for the the first the, the starter part you know sort of phase one of the project um yeah. but i think you know having an investor mindset you 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 should always be asking yourself what's the return i'm going to get so can you give us a bit of an idea of why do you think and i know you're biased but you know i'm asking you from your point of view as architects what return could an investor expect by working with an architect versus not
1: using an architect? I, I, th- I think there's a, a few a few different ways to measure this. So one, one might be in pounds, but then also one might be in time and pain. So, I mean, actually 25% of our clients that come to us have already worked with um, maybe a, a CAD technician or a draftsman and they have failed to get the permissions or they have messed up in the planning process. They've not explained it in enough detail They've not put the design and access statement together properly, and they've caused problems, you know, uh, for their investor on their on their project. We we have done so many of these, and we we understand how to block the objections that the council might have um, in such a way that you know we'll have a much smoother process, which is less stressful for anyone. So that's a that's a definite return on investment, and obviously getting the permissions, you know, is where the is added. Um, not also just uh, about that but optimising the space and doing those calculations. So uh, an example, we, we've got a project in, in London and um, it's a three-bed semi-attached 1930s property and we were able to push this property to eight bedrooms yeah? wow. and kitchenette facilities. So. You know, the, the client said, I want to maximize the space. And he was thinking probably six six bedrooms, you know, with a few en-suites. But we were able to do it in a way that, you know, was eight bedrooms, double bedrooms, you know, all 10, 10 square meters plus uh, en-suites and kitchenette facilities and no, no additional council tax banding as well. Yeah, it's because we navigated the planning process properly. And obviously in London, that's going to add huge value. So... I mean, he's renting the rooms out for £800 per, per room per month. Amazing. And, you know, um, I think for the extra um, extra additional work, you know, um, maybe £50,000 on the construction cost, but he got an extra two rooms out of that. Yeah, so, nice. you know, if you work out the return on the investment on an extra 50 grand spend, as well as uh, the valuation, so the property, I think, purchase price was 600000 200000 on the construction cost, and then the property is being valued at, you know, nine, nine 50. Yeah, so um, we'll try and push the development as much as possible, you know, uh, because obviously again, that's good for the client and that's, that's good for us.
0: You know? Yes yes that's excellent Um, I think it also helps for people who are doing those bigger developments particularly where for example there is of course uh, this is another another thread that I'm working on at the moment is council tax rebanding of individual rooms Um, and that is catching a lot of people out mm -hmm. Um, and and maybe another time we can have a a further discussion about that and and perhaps bring you on to the other group that I run which is the council tax and HMO group um, to get an idea of you know projects that you might have seen where potentially those rooms were going to be rebanded or um, there was a risk that they would be rebanded but because of your involvement you've been able to uh, avoid that happening but that mm. is a topic for a whole other day I'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a really valuable contribution that this, this is of course where the the combination of design and architecture and building regs and building control your knowledge about construction and and you know current legislation and guidance really comes in and will help people to you know if they've, if they've got a, a house that could be a, you know, a a great HMO, um, you can maximize that. And I think that that's what you're saying is that you can maximize it. And also let's just be be clear with people that when we talk about single and double, what we mean is one person and two person in the legislation, it says single and double, but actually you can still have a double bed in a 6.5 meter room, can't you? But it's just, you can't rent it out to two people.
1: This is, this is a big thing that maybe we come across when clients come to us uh, from using another professional design professional, where they've sent the plans into the council with the double beds and the council automatically think they're trying to have two people in the room, two occupants. So then they're saying, why are you going for a permitted development for a three to six? This is actually a full planning because now you want 12 people in the room, you know? So lack of, lack of attention, lack of detail can cause a lot of problems and then you have to fight and convince the council. And it's very difficult to convince the council that you don't want, you know, more people in the property.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, listen, guys, thank you ever so much indeed today. I want to say thank you for your input and your amazing tips, amazing advice for people. Really, really helpful. So how should somebody who's kind of toying with the idea of working with you, how should they get in touch with you? And what's the process by which you would agree whether they're right for you and, and uh, you're right for them?
1: So you can um, visit our website, which is www hmo-architect.com. There's a form there where you can fill out the details about yourself, your goals, your property, uh, upload various documents like floor plans and, uh, you know, pictures, and we can book a call, a discovery call, it's free. Um, We will uh, look at the property, we'll give you some initial advice, walk you through the process if you need more more guidance on how to work with an architect or the development process. And uh, just try and be as helpful as possible. And then, obviously, if um, if you're confident in the project and you would like to move forward, whether that's full architectural support or the design appraisal, the feasibility viability study, uh, obviously, um, you know, put a quotation together, schedule a works, and go from there.
0: Wonderful, that's great. And of course, you offer a variety of services available as well, don't you? So maybe if somebody has even started a project and beginning to feel they're kind of getting in too deep. Uh, it's, It's not impossible for them to come to you and for you to help them rescue that project or certainly turn it around in some way. Um, which yeah. is which which is which i think again could be very helpful for a lot of people who might listen to the this on a podcast or they might be watching the facebook um as a live or a recording and thinking yes i'm already at that point Help! <laughs> they can come to you now which is which is really helpful so i'll put your links and your uh, information um in, in the group um and and on the podcast we'll put them in the podcast notes as well um so that if anyone does want to contact either giovanni or ryan you're very welcome to do so Um uh, I, I you can go on their website, have a look at the projects that they've done, check them out, make sure that they're the right people for you to be working with. But um, I certainly have had some you know, tremendous feedback from some of the clients you've worked with, um, hence why you know, it's been great having you on today. And uh, you know, good luck with your projects. We we look forward to, to seeing some of those wonderful pictures as they come through. And, uh, you know, feel free to post, post progress of, of things that you're working on, because it's always good to see what's what's happening in the HMO world.